0: We are in the second week of a five-week series on being the images of God. It's astonishing to think that you and I were created to reflect God to his world. That's an amazing thought when you think about it. In this series, we're exploring five ways that we do that, and we're doing that out of the early stories of Genesis. Last week, we kicked off the series by looking um, at how our worship of the Creator reflects who God is to the world He loves. And we talk about how it's like we're big, giant mirrors that are angled just right, so that as we worship God, His goodness reflects off of us and into the world that He loves. If you missed that message, I encourage you to go to our website uh, and listen to it, or you can even download it to your phone and then take me for a walk, which would do us both some good. Today we're going to jump right into creation care which is the second way that we, as images of God, reflect who he is to the world he loves. Here's the simple truth. How we care for God's earth expresses God's love for the earth, or at least it should. That's kind of the question, isn't it? Do our actions in creation emulate the creator who made this world and then placed it under our care. You know, in the opening moments of the creation story, we discover uh, some things about this world. Two things that stand out. We've discovered that the earth is formless and empty. And in Hebrew, it even rhymes. Tohu va-bohu." Pretty cool. Try that. Tohu va-bohu." Anyone? So, when God began to speak into this formless and empty world, when he began to speak it to life, he started by creating a structure. He started by bringing form to the formless. You can see that in days one through three, where God separated uh, the light from the dark. He separated the, the sky above from the waters below. And then down below, he separated the water from dry land. At the end of the first three days, the earth now has form. But it's still mostly empty. Then in the second three days, days four through six, God begins filling up what he had formed on the first days. In fact, it even happens in order. He fills up day one with sun, moon, and stars. He fills up day two with birds and fish. He fills up day three with animals and and, and people. God fills up what he had formed, creating an abundant, vibrant world, a creation that is so staggering, so marvelous, so intricate, so Good. I remember reading years ago, Annie Dillard's book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, where she just walks around her backyard, really. It's probably a few acres. She walks around that back uh, acreage, and she just reflects on the abundance of God's creation right there where she lives. She says it's like, quote, the creator goes off on one wild specific tangent after another, or millions simultaneously with an exuberance that would seem to be unwarranted and with an abandoned energy sprung from an unfathomable font. What is going on here? The point of the dragonfly's terrible lip, the giant water bug bird song, the beautiful dazzle and flash of sunlighted minnows, or not in the text, the dance of birds of paradise. It's not that it all fits together like clockwork, for it doesn't particularly, not even inside the goldfish bowl, but it all flows so freely wild like the creek. That it all surges into, in such a, a free, fringed tangle. Freedom is the world's water and weather, the world's nourishment freely given, its soil and sap, and the Creator loves pizzazz. End quote. <laughs> the Creator loves pizzazz. Yes, He does. I mean, look into Genesis 1. Gaze up into the galaxies or stare into your own backyard. Pizzazz is everywhere. And right at the end of day six, just before he rested from his creative extravaganza, God created human beings in his own image, in his likeness. And these humans were created for a purpose. They were commissioned into a role over the pizzazz of creation. Get this, even before we were made. Remember we talked last week, God had this little brainstorming session with himself about what he's going to do next. Even before he had created us, let us make human beings in our image and our likeness. Why? Why did he want these human images? Quote, so that they may rule over all these other birds and animals and things that he had created. Rule is a word that's going to need a little more explaining. But before we go any further, just consider what this means. God created us as rulers under him. Representing Him and His leadership and His kingship to His world so that wherever we are, He is seen. Wherever we are, His presence is felt. Is it any wonder He calls us His images? What an awesome, terrifying, overwhelming, invigorating responsibility. You and I image God to the world. Wow. Well, in order to explore this this morning, let's unpack the five specific actions that God told us to take as humans in creation. They capture our commission. And these five actions are found in Genesis 1 and and Genesis 2. I figured out some hand motions to go with these things, okay? I don't do this very often. But if you'll join me, this is how they go. Hands up. These are the five actions. Fill. Subdue. I already messed up. You know, all week long, I've been practicing this in my office. Try it again. Fill, rule, subdue, serve, and protect. Let's try that again. Fill, rule, (laughs) subdue, serve, and protect. Let's not get that eh, wrong in my mind here. So first, we fill. Upon the initial creation of these human images in Genesis one 28. God commands them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Now at its most basic level, this is about having kids. It's about growing families. It's about reproduction. Just as God called the creatures of the deep and the birds of the sky to increase and to fill their respective domains, God calls us as his images to do that as well. And so maybe we should just name it. Making babies is a good and godly thing, if you can. But is that all it means? I don't think so. That would leave a lot of us out of it, wouldn't it? Or maybe we're done having kids. Well, now what? No, this command to fill is really a command that is about filling up creation with more images of God. It's about extending our presence as God's representatives so that every corner of God's creation is filled with God reflectors. Everywhere you go, God, the Creator, is seen and felt and experienced through us, His representatives. You know, later on in the Genesis story, after the great uh, flood and the great, or great fall, the great flood, and people had grown in population, and they decided this whole, you know, filling nonsense. We don't want to do that anymore. Let's let's get together. Let's make a name for ourselves. And let's build a big old tower. Right? You can read about it in Genesis 10. But God, in order to keep the humans moving, in order to keep them fulfilling what he had called them to do, he stepped in and confused their languages. And the language confusion is, you know, there's a bit of active judgment there. I get that. But it's actually more an act of grace that keeps the humans moving towards God's goals to fill up and go to the corners of the earth. Why does God want us to fill up the earth? Because we can't actually do our jobs in creation, for creation, without getting into creation. We can't rule or subdue or serve or protect if we don't know or love or care about it. If we don't fill up creation, the fact is we won't make much of it either. Now, filling up creation doesn't mean that we, how does the old song go? Pave paradise and put up a parking lot. That's not what it means. Filling up the earth doesn't mean we then meddle in everything. In fact, as with the wisdom that God gives us, we're going to choose at times in certain places to preserve the natural state. Of things to 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 set land aside, we're going to leave things alone, not as an act of neglect, but as an expression of care. In our national parks and wildlife preserves and little spaces and big green spaces, there's great examples of that. But in other places, our filling is going to result in human industry, in commerce, and trade, and development. But all of it done with God's intentions in mind, so that God's goodness and His care is reflected everywhere. Filling, then, really is about the next four actions that we're able to rule and subdue and serve and protect. These next four actions are kind of grouped into two sets. The the next two are in Genesis 1, and the, the, the last two are in Genesis 2. So the first two actions, to rule and subdue, in those, God calls us to live like kings. Now, I know what you're thinking. Live like kings, I've got an idea in mind of what that means. And it's usually pretty selfish. It's usually bigger, better, and somebody else suffers because of it. Living like kings under God is not like that. It's living under the king of the world, living with his heart for the world. So more accurately, we could say it's living like mini kings or like vice regents under the creator. Well, we're called to, to live as God's royal representatives, extending his loving rule throughout his good creation. In Genesis 1, after being told to fill the earth, God then tells the human images to subdue it. And then, repeating his original purpose for the humans, they're told to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves in the ground. You know, Rule and subdue, subdue and and rule. The order doesn't matter very much. They're both expressions or acts of royal dominion. In the Genesis 1 story, we witness creation from a global perspective. And we read it last week. You know, it's sweeping. It's expansive. God speaks and animals pop out of the dirt. And the story is structured around these grand moments of wonderful fecundity. Don't you love that word? Fecundity. Just try it. Fecundity. It kind of rolls off. It's just rich in and of itself. Right? And we see it all from 10,000 feet up, right? This big expansive creation. Ruling creation is not an act of violent domination, but royal dominion. That God has made this amazing good creation, and now he places images of himself in the creation to provide continued governance and oversight, to steward his creation with the same loving care with which he made it in the first place. Now, have humans understood and practiced this? Sometimes, Sometimes we have, but often we haven't. But that doesn't make it untrue. It just makes us, what? Rebellious and disobedient. Still the call that God has placed on us. Subduing creation is not an act of exploitation. Rather, subduing in some mysterious way indicates that creation, the creation that God has made, is not able to be all that God created it to be without humans involved in it, reflecting who God is in it. Subduing may speak of the need for animals and fish to be managed well, which we can see. It could allude to the fact that there were forces within creation, even then, that needed to be tamed in some way. It also refers, I believe, to the potentialities within creation that would never come to be if it wasn't for humans in it. I mean, think of the materials available that then come together to create a musical instrument. That would never be possible. Think of the other things that have come together to enable us to explore more deeply into the very microbes of the earth or the expanse of the galaxies. All elements within creation but needed humans to bring that. To life, We aren't sure exactly how subduing works, but we do know this. Subduing creation is a benevolent action. It's taken on behalf of creation's good and God's glory. To rule and subdue is to actively engage God's whole earth so that his good creation continues to experience its creator's care. You know, one Old Testament commentator put it this way. He said, quote, Exercising royal dominion over the earth as God's representatives is the basic purpose for which God created man, end quote. So, we fill, we rule, we subdue, but that's not all, right? We also work and take care of it. We serve and we protect. In these last two actions, serve and protect, God commissions us to act as his priests. Whereas ruling and subduing seems to emphasize our role Over Our responsibility over creation, serving and protecting focuses on our priestly work as God's representatives right in creation, down in the dirt, as it were. And in the second creation story, found in Genesis 2, we see God doing something that's entirely different than Genesis 1. We see it from an entirely different angle. Instead of unfolding from this high global perspective, we're down there in the dirt. We're getting up close and personal. We're seeing God do something over there in the mud, right? He's like making something. What is he up to? And then he breathes into it and it becomes a living being. Let me read some of that from Genesis 2 for you. Last week I read some of Genesis 1. Here is a bit of Genesis 2, starting in verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. And there was no one to work the ground. But but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there was gold. And then in parentheses, it says, the gold of that land was good. I'm telling you, if there's gold in my land, it's all good. But apparently... <laughs> The gold of this land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx were also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. See the differences in this story? If you, if you read Genesis 1 or you heard it last week, here we have a man made from dirt by the hands of God and then breathed to life by God himself and then placed in this garden that God himself had planted and an incredible, wonderful garden it was. But so far in the story, no animals, no rain, and maybe most importantly, no woman. Just a man, a bunch of dirt with the trees and the rivers. Well, we're going to come back to other aspects of that story in future days. But for now, let's at least ask the question, why did the man get placed in this garden? What was the purpose for it? We're told for a very specific reason. He was put there to work it and take care of it. This little couplet, work and take care, is translated a lot of different ways in the Bible. Different translations, I should say. The King James translation says to dress and to keep it. Uh, New Living Translation says to tend and watch over it. Other translations emphasize the word to, to cultivate or to guard it. Taken together, though, God places the flourishing of this now little corner of His creation into the hands of this man that He has made. The fourth action, to work, to serve, is very interesting. It's a word that's only used one way through the whole rest of the Old Testament. Only one way. This word is used exclusively to refer to the work of priests in the service of God. Tabernacle, temple. Isn't that fascinating that that's the word that's used? That God places the man in his garden to work it, to dress, to cultivate, to tend, to serve. And even there, he connects it with our responsibility as mediators in creation to reflect God's care to his world and to reflect creation's praise back to God. This working, this priestly service, finds expression, yes, in the turning of the soil, planting gardens, but it also extends to the cultivation of the arts and medicine, science, inventions, beauty, usefulness, poetry, extending health and vibrancy through all of creation. It's so much more than just gardening, although that definitely is included. It points toward human civilization at its greatest apex under God. The fifth action, to take care or to protect, is the call to keep, to watch over, to guard the garden. And it does have this protective aspect where the man is called to ensure the safety and the health and the longevity of God's garden. (laughs) But what could that possibly mean? I mean, what exactly is he supposed to be protecting the garden from? Could it be that right here, God is preparing the man for an invasion of evil. I mean, it's only verses later that we do find out that there is, in fact, a snake in the grass or maybe more accurately, a serpent in a certain tree trying to derail God's images from their service and their protection of the garden that God had made. And this man's call to protect is really about safeguarding God's garden. Yes, about managing and conserving his resources. It's also about protecting the habitat, increasing the flourishing and integrity of what God has given him. It's working with the long-term view in mind of what could be, but also what must never be. So, ruling and doing speaks of our royal assignment over creation. We are to live as kings. Serving and protecting refer to our priestly role within creation. We are to act as priests. We fill, we rule, we subdue, we serve, and we protect. Well, what does that really mean for us? Well, I think at square one, we have to actually embrace our identity as God's images in his creation to the rest of the creation. We have to start there. We have to actually acknowledge that we are responsible to God for this filling, ruling, subduing, serving and protecting of his creation. We just have to start there because for far too long we and now I speak specifically to those who would say I'm a follower of Jesus we have abdicated our role as God's royal servants within creation. We've been more concerned with how, uh, you know, caring for creation might affect my lifestyle choice, rather than embracing the fact that God has created me and you and us to make the care of His creation our way of life. We blamed environmentalists or policy makers for pushing us in uncomfortable directions when we're the ones who've neglected our first mandate from the Creator to serve and protect what He has made. We've let others take the lead, or we've just watched them as they take the lead, and then we've ridiculed their mistakes or their misguidedness. When we ourselves, as people who claim to follow the Creator, as people who've been filled with the Spirit of God, we ourselves should have been leading others, leading the pack in conservation and creation care. Not being drug into it at the end. We should have been doing that for the glory of God and the good of creation. But instead, to our shame, we've often dug in our heels. We've resisted actions of care or creation. And repentance is called for. We must admit to God, to each other, and to the world, that we have forsaken God's mandate, the mandate that he gave to us. And then through repentance, we must realign our attitudes and our actions with God's purpose for us as his royal priests in his good creation. Uh, Stephen Boma Prediger is a prof at Michigan, in Michigan, Hope College there. And I've read his book a number of times. It's for sale there in the little book nook there. And uh, it's a book called For the Beauty of the Earth. Love that book. Covers a lot of ground in it. But I had the privilege of meeting him in February. I was speaking at a creation care conference there in Calgary, and I had the privilege of meeting him. That was great. Uh, He has a little quote, uh, and then he quotes someone else in his book. He says, We are God's vice-regents. We're called to rule as God rules. That's what I've been saying. But then he goes on to quote another guy named Tom Reagan. He says this, quote, By this I mean that we are expressly chosen by God to be God's vice-regents in our day-to-day affairs in the world. We are chosen by God, that is, to be as loving in our day-to-day affairs, our day-to-day dealings with the created order, as God was in creating that order in the first place. In this sense, therefore, there's a morally relevant difference between human beings and every other creaturely expression of God. For it's only members of the human species who are given the awesome freedom and responsibility to be God's representatives within creation. And it is therefore only we humans who can be held morally blameworthy when we fail to do this and morally praiseworthy when we succeed. This is very challenging to me personally. I've got to tell you. I know how personally, morally blameworthy that I am because of the ways I've failed to embrace my identity as God's royal priest in creation. And I suspect that you might be challenged as well. So that's where it starts. We need to embrace our identity. But the second part, of course, the second step is we actually need to live out that identity in obedience. We must do what God calls us to do in and for his creation. And no one's excluded from this. If you live and breathe this morning, if you call yourself a human being, you are God's royal priest in his creation. There's no exceptions. Now, whether or not you will choose to live into that identity is the challenge. But the truth is, that is who you are how this connects to your particular situation, you know what this means for you, what you will do to respond and live obediently to God's mandate to you, to us, in your world, that is going to be something that you need to work out with your family. Something you need to work out with God. Decisions you need to make as a result. I can't begin to tell you what that is going to look like for you exactly. Except to say that we need to obey. We actually need to follow what God has called us to do, what he's created us to do. But in order to provo- uh, provoke your thinking on this and maybe your response on this, I, I do want to close, before we go to communion, I want to close with three challenging questions and ask you what you're going to do about that for the next 30 days. I'll put this right in the ground. The first one is, how are you going to fill creation over the next 30 days? Now, for most of you, that is not going to involve making another baby. <laughs> so for those of you who want to, go ahead. We love that. We love babies here. Where's Malachi? Where's Graham? Okay. Yeah. I, I, I got distracted. Obeying God's command to fill God's creation is about taking God's creation seriously. It's about coming to know it. It's about being present to it. It's about loving it. Because here's the deal. We can't actually care for something we don't love. And we can't actually love something that we don't even know. So feeling, in this sense, is more about going for a hike. It's, it's more about you know reading a book on local geography. Feeling is about taking God's mandate to be present in creation seriously so that we can begin to act with his divine authority as overseers and as caretakers. And so the opening question really is, is there an area... For you, an area of creation, maybe it's a place or a pond or a path. Is there maybe an animal or some sort of you know, geological or watershed, water feature? There's a bird or a reptile that you actually, over the next 30 days, you're going to extend yourself toward it. You're going to get closer. You're going to fill that area of creation up a little bit more. God has called us to fill the earth. And yes, that means, as his followers, that we go into all the world and we preach the good news of what Jesus has done. But guess what that includes? The good news of what Jesus wants to do for all of creation because we know that he's committed to bringing reconciliation to all of creation. So as we preach the good news of what Jesus has done, it extends the whole way and the way that we live out is an expression of that good news. So, how are you going to fill creation over the next 30 days? What's one thing you're going to do? Second question. What is one way that you can live more like a king this month? Now, we've defined what that is, of course. What does it mean to live like a king? Well, what's one concrete way that you can express God's kingly and caring character for his world? I know it's frightening to think about, but the reality is, you and I have been given authority over Creation, and if that doesn't frighten you, it should, because it frightens me. And that's the problems we're having because we have that authority and we're misusing it, but the authority is still there. God has given us that authority. We need to act like it. We need to, in that sense, live as kings. And that might include things like writing letters. It might include over the next few days before a provincial election that we query our politicians about environmental policies. We dig in deeper. We try to understand why we're making certain decisions. We study climate change. We research about how we understand different patterns that are, that are existing in our, in our world and in our own lives. And we, we try to get a grip on that so that we can live with the authority God has given us as His vice regents, as His mini kings. And as we do that, the world begins to experience more and more that there is a caring God who's leading this ship. That there is someone on the throne and is being experienced through those who image him. So what's one, one way you're going to live more like a king this month? Get real practical What's going to be. And then the third question is, what is one way that you can minister as a priest in creation this month? You know, maybe it just means you're going to plant your garden with a little more... P- Passion, with a little more intentionality. You're going to realize as you're turning that soil and putting those seeds in that you are doing something that God has created you to do, that you're doing something that is good and holy and right for the good of creation. Maybe that's what it's going to be. Maybe you're going to actually begin to look at creation around you differently. You know, speak to the trees. (laughs) Worship God, you Douglas fir, whatever. Like you're going to begin to engage creation as we see that we're called to do so that we can together reflect the Creator's praise, are the things that you can do to begin to protect or enhance the soil around where you live, over which you have a say. Maybe there's something specific that you can do to act more loving toward your own body. Maybe it's time, in response to God's authority, His call in your life, maybe it's time to begin overcoming an addiction that's been harming you. Or or saying no to something that has been hurting your body you and i are called to touch and to turn and to serve and to protect god's earth which includes everything he has made and includes our own earthly bodies and how we do that reflects his character to the world how are you going to act as a priest over the next 30 days god has called us He's identified us and he's given us authority as his royal priests to fill and subdue, rule. I can't do that. Serve and protect. You got it. He's given us that authority. How are we going to do that in the next 30 days? I really implore you to take this seriously. Because you know, the scripture says it's why we were made. We shouldn't ignore this stuff. As we go into community day. I was reflecting on that and really the transition between this and realized that the only way we're going to be able to do any of this is if we let Jesus lead us. For as much as God created us to be his images, we fail at it. We're pretty rough objects. We have difficulty reflecting him. As much as we may attempt to care, we live in a very broken world. And we need Jesus to lead us. We need him to forgive us. We need him to show us how we can be images of God the images that we were created to be. We need Jesus to come and bring healing to this world, healing to our own lives and our own relationships and to restore what has been lost. Well, the good news is that Jesus came as the perfect image of God. Where we had become obscured and dirty, Jesus became, came, he, he, he came and he was all shiny and reflective. You could see the Father perfectly in him. Where we had, had sort of angled ourselves away from our creator and we no longer reflecting him, accurately jesus was always in perfect alignment with his father so that he could show us perfectly who the father was and his love to the world that he made jesus came as the unique son of god the rightful king of the world our great high priest but he came to a world that had grown dark a world where both the people and the planet were groaning under the weight of sin Jesus came to reassert His Father's good authority and to extend His Father's loving rule once again over all creation. Jesus came to bring new creation to fill up this world again with images of Himself so that increasingly more are ruling and subduing and serving, protecting as images of the God who loves the world. Jesus did just that. And in communion, we celebrate both His royal action and his priestly work to bring about this new creation. All of which was accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection. Jesus continues to extend his father's rule over all the earth. And you know how he does this? He does this by working in us and through us. He does it by extending his rule through our care. Through the work of that he has given us to do. At The very end of a prayer that Paul prayed at the start of the letter to the Ephesians. He's reflecting on a lot of different things and he talks about the power that is in us. as the same power that the Father had when he raised Jesus from the dead. And then he goes on. He says, it's this power that you know, he raised Christ from the dead and he seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly realms and far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. That's Jesus. And appointed him, Jesus, to to be the head over everything for the church. Listen to this. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is filling his creation again through you and I. And as we come to the table today, We come grateful for Jesus' kingly and priestly work, for the restoration of his good creation, which includes you and I as his human images. We come humble, we come repentant, we come confessing the ways that we've, we've just forgotten his call to us, or we've forsaken it, or we've, we've neglected his commission that he gave to us. We come asking for his forgiveness and asking for his power to be his priestly servants, to be his vice regents in the world. And as we do that, the Father forgives us. The Father washes us clean. He wipes off the dirt. He he repositions us so that we're angled correctly again towards the Son. So that the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way is now being seen clearly in the world that He loves. In the church that He loves. In our own lives. So I invite you to come to the table today. Jesus is calling each one of us. The Father is recommissioning us even now as we come. And the Spirit, like we see in that early Genesis story, is hovering, bringing life to all. Thank you, Jesus, for your gift of life to us. The fact that we can sing a song like that and know it's true. We are yours. You are ours. That you have given us of your Holy Spirit. You Live in us. And go before us. And this commissioning that you've given to us. To be your good news people. And to extend your loving rule. And to show your care. And your character. In a world that is groaning. A world that is broken. We accept that Lord. Knowing that it is only in your power. And in your grace. That we can even come close to being who you've called us to be. And so this week ahead whatever relationships we're involved in, whatever work you've given to us, places we go and engagements we have in those quiet moments or those crazy times, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill each one of us, that we would truly live as your royal representatives to the world that you love. May our actions and our attitudes emulate you who made us all. And so we go this week, commissioned by you and ask, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you would send us, knowing that you walk with us, that you go before us. We praise you, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of following you and of reflecting you to the world. In your name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you this week. May we continue to reflect his goodness to the world. God bless.